Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this past week, on Tuesday and Wednesday, I was in Anaheim with members of my family at Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure. I don't know how you feel about Disneyland. This was the third time in my life that I've been there. I've never been to Orlando, to Walt Disney World and Epcot and all of that, just to Anaheim. On both days, we arrived before opening. They, they let you come into the park. They take your ticket and let you come in up to a rope line, but they don't open the ropes until exactly opening time, 8 a.m. And at 8 a.m., they play a recorded welcome. It begins as all official Disney announcements begin. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, a great way to begin. And on Tuesday, after the basic welcome, as they opened the ropes at Disney's California Adventure and the people started to move into the park, they played the tune, Hi-Ho, Hi-Ho, It's Home From Work We Go. And on Wednesday, after the basic welcome, as they opened the ropes at Disneyland, as we strolled, all of us, into the park, they played the tune zippity doo And my 18-year-old nephew said, we can't actually sing the lyrics to this song. And so as this music swelled around us, as we all rushed into Disneyland, my nephew reminded me that he grew up in a culture that knows the music for zippity doo but can't sing the lyrics. A culture that knows the tune, but not the words. zippity doo was part of the Song of the South, a classic 1946 Disney movie that is so out of sync with contemporary views about race and slavery and the South, that Song of the South has been made unavailable by Disney in the United States of America for decades. I saw it when I was a kid. You can't see it now, unless you go to China. If you are interested in religion or anthropology, the Disney realm is probably quite interesting to you. I often say that Disney does much of what the church tries to do, only they do it significantly better than the church. At the heart of Disney, is a set of stories, stories that are told and retold. The classics of Disney, like Pinocchio, like Cinderella, like Peter Pan, they deal with the great themes of literature and mythology, especially of children's literature, the theme of adults and parents who are incompetent at best or evil at worst. The theme of what it means to be truly human. The theme of childhood and adulthood and how one can be concealed within the other. These great themes, these masterpiece stories are told and retold. They are set to robust music, 
singable music, and they are acted out in costumes, and they are portrayed on the silver screen, and they are embodied in toys and in rides and attractions. Children encounter them, and children grow up and bring the Disney stories and Disney experiences to their own children and eventually grandchildren so that that standard Disney welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, truly identifies the audience. This is a large part of what Christianity is really like. At the heart of Christianity is a set of stories. The church even has to deal with challenges like zippity doo treasured gems of our heritage that originated in contexts that we can no longer embrace or accept, but the gem is still valuable to us even though the jewelry in which it was originally mounted is broken and tarnished. At the heart of Christianity is a set of stories, such as today's story, of Jesus feeding thousands of people, told four different ways, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The stories are told in Christianity over and over, and there are songs that are written about the stories. And the stories, at best, transform us and shape our character. In the case of the classic Disney stories, I hope that ideally... Children who soak in the Disney stories might, from those stories and that soaking, that the children might develop resilience in the face of adversity. And the children might embrace creative solutions to challenges that arise in life. And that children might, over the course of their lives, sometimes choose generosity and decency over selfishness and meanness. This is what I mean when I say that these classic stories shape character. I've never asked a child what the lesson of Peter Pan is. What's the lesson? Presumably it's stay away from hungry crocodiles. I've never asked a child what the lesson what the point of Snow White is. Presumably it's avoid apples given away by haggard old women. The stories cannot be distilled down to a moral point. If they could, you could teach the moral point without all the encumbering and distracting aspects of the story. The dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life is when preachers or Sunday school teachers tell us that when Jesus fed the crowds, 5,000 men plus women and children, because that's that tarnished gem. The men count and the women sort of don't. 5,000 men plus women and children, so let's say 10,000. The preacher says that because one person shared, then everyone else opened up their knapsacks and shared, and then there was enough. That is the most banal the most asinine, the most dim-witted suggestion I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard a lot of bad suggestions. 
Sharing is an important feature of the story, but the story is not about how everyone shared. It's a miracle story. Jesus took a little bit that was available, that was shared, and he fed a multitude. It's a miracle. Jesus was born to a virgin. He cured incurable diseases. He overcame the devil. He walked on water. He brought dead Lazarus back to life. He controlled the weather. He changed water into wine. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. The Bible tells us Jesus did all these things and more, but for some reason... The idea that he multiplied loaves of bread is just too extreme to believe. It's just a bridge too far. And so Lutheran preachers love to get up and explain that no, there really was no miracle. It was just a story about sharing. And I think I can speak for every child on the planet and every person who has ever enjoyed a classic Disney story when I say that is the most banal, the most asinine, the most dim-witted idea that anyone has ever put forward in the history of organized religion. It's not the worst thing that anyone has ever said. It's not the most evil thing. It's just the stupidest. The story begins with the beheading of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had his head chopped off and served on a platter. So Jesus, who was very much like John the Baptist, related to John the Baptist, was a wandering spiritual teacher like John the Baptist. Jesus decided that he needed to get out of town fast. Now this would make a good Disney ride, if you ask me. First, John's head is chopped off and falls down on a silver platter. Then Jesus heads out into the wilderness, off to a good start. And yet Jesus is so popular... He is so important to so many people that crowds follow him into the deserted region where he had headed to escape. And it's in that setting that Jesus feeds the crowd. It's in an evil world of bad people, malefactors, and it's, it's a desperate world for all the rest of us, crowded with hungry and needy people. And Jesus is in those places with us. And Jesus provides for us abundantly in those places. And the story says there were leftovers. Most restaurants will give you a, a box for your leftovers. We used to call it a doggy box. The story says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12 so each of them had a take-home basket of leftovers. Peter had one, James had one, Thomas had one. Each and every one of the 12 followers got a takeaway basket. Why? To make the point in an almost comic way that in those harsh and desperate places in life, God will provide for us, no matter what. If it were a Disney ride, it would end with each of the twelve walking away with a big basket on their shoulders, laden with the goodness of God, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, as Jesus would say elsewhere. So it's not a story about how everyone pulled food out of their knapsack. The point of the story is not that we already have everything we need, and that we can depend on ourselves and provide our own solutions. No, it's a miracle story that God sees us and accompanies us 
in those hungry and abandoned and scary regions of our lives. The places precisely where we do not have everything we need and where we cannot rely on ourselves and where we cannot make our own solutions. God is with us and providing for us in those places. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disney is part of consumer culture. It makes money from the stories it sells and the products that it sells. But Disney can nevertheless teach us a few things about the value of stories. Our Christian stories, the stories of Jesus and the Bible, are not commercial products, and we are not turned into consumers when we share them. But what I said, what I said about children and Disney stories ought to be said about Christians and the classic stories of the church. I hope that ideally children who soak in the Disney stories might develop resilience in the face of adversity and might embrace creative solutions to challenges and might over the course of their lives sometimes choose generosity and decency over selfishness and meanness. Likewise, the great stories of the church, the great hymns and illustrations of the church, when shared over and over from one generation to another, ideally, our stories might cultivate in us Resilience in the face of adversity. Creativity when we are confronted with challenges. And a spirit of generosity and decency that will prevail over the inclinations of selfishness and meanness. Amen.